You are listening to a sermon from the season of Lent at Christ Our Hope Anglican Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. For more information, visit us on the web at ChristOurHopeAnglican.org. And now, here's today's message. So today I want to talk to you about the joy of repentance. Throughout the season of Lent, we've talked about confession and we've talked about repentance several times, but the path that we've taken has at times been a hard one as we've encountered the words of Jesus, like last week, where the message that Jesus spoke to the people who were listening to him was, repent or you too shall perish. Repent or death will come for you. And this is a hard word because there's no escaping the demand that these words place upon our lives. No room to wiggle out from under them with some trick of interpretation. On the one hand, there is sin and death. On the other hand, there is repentance and life. Life or death. It would seem that this shouldn't be a very hard choice. Except if you judge by the way that we actually act and the choices that we make each and every week, it apparently is. All of us, at times, choose death, even though we know that life is offered to us. I know that I do, at times. I'm sure that you do. And why is this choice so hard? If it's so straightforward, Life or death, why do we choose oftentimes to go down the road of sin and we choose to willfully ignore the commands of God that are given for our good and instead to pursue sin? And we do this again and again. We wander from Him. Why does this happen to us? Part of it is the reality that we are in a spiritual battle, that sin itself is a force that seeks to destroy us, that Satan prowls like a lion, tempting us in order to hope that we are devoured. I don't want to discount that battle element of what is going on, but part of it as well is I think that we don't really understand the choice that is before us. On the one hand, like Eve in the garden, we are told that to choose sin means to choose death, and we're not really certain what that means. We're not really certain that that sounds so bad. We think that maybe, you know, Maybe a little bit of death is okay. Except, of course, it doesn't work that way. Or maybe I won't really die. We listen to those words of the serpent, you will not surely die. And we think this this would be okay. I could choose this. But on the other hand, I think that for many of us, when we hear the call to repentance and we see that as the path to life, we wonder if that's really so much better than death anyway. Repentance can be hard. It is humbling. And we get this idea that we are going to come back to the Father and we'll still have the guilt of our sin hanging over us. We'll still feel the fact that we, we have been unfaithful. And maybe he'll accept us back. Maybe he'll have us. But surely it won't be a joyful return. Surely it won't actually be that good for me. 
and I don't know that we would say this with our lips, or probably most of us have the right theology that says that, yes, I know that God is, is a good father, but to actually believe that what we are getting when we return to him is good is so, so hard. And we need to understand the full reality of the choice that is before us. What does it actually mean to choose death? And what does it mean to choose life? There's probably no better picture of that choice than the parable that we read today. If you have your Bible, you can turn with me to Luke chapter 15, and the parable begins in verse 11. The opening verse in verse 11, it says there was a man who had two sons. In fact, as we look at this parable, I think like the parable of the two sons or perhaps the parable of the father's love, is a better name for it than the parable of the prodigal son, because that really only tells half the story. It starts from the very beginning, reminding us that there are two sons, and both sons will be dealt with according to the father. But it does begin with that prodigal son, the one who wandered off. In verse 12, he asks his father for his share of the inheritance that he and his brother are to receive. And to kind of get the scandal of this, we have to understand how things would have worked in the culture of that time. With a father who had two sons, he would have divided his estate between the elder son and the younger son at his death. The elder son would have gotten two-thirds of the estate. The younger son would have gotten one-third of the estate. But this division would happen at the time of his death. Occasionally, there might be something where, you know, in, in preparations, you kind of bequeath it, but they're not allowed to really sell it or do anything with it until the father dies. It's his until his death. And to ask otherwise was a grievous insult against the father when he asked him to receive his inheritance. It's equivalent of saying, I wish you were dead now so I could just have the money because the money is better than you are. Just go away and get out of my life. And this is confirmed in what he does as soon as he has the money. Not very long, maybe just enough time to plan for a journey, maybe cash out with some of the local bankers. He sets off and he goes to a far country where he is physically distant from his father, denying everything that he had, everything that he was, squandering all the money that he had just received on reckless living. And soon this son is destitute. He has nothing left, but perhaps there's enough in the, in the country for him to get by until the country itself is hit by a famine. And suddenly he's hungry and alone. He hires himself out to a farmer as one who's feeding pigs, which again, if this is being told in a Jewish context, Pigs are unclean animals. So he's continuing, even in this moment, in his desperation to deny who he is, his identity as a Jew. He's leaving that behind him, or he's just so desperate that it doesn't matter. Either way, here he is feeding the pigs, and he wants to eat the pods that they eat. There's a couple of times in ancient texts where they talk about these pods that are used to feed for the, the pigs and talk about humans eating them, but it's always as a sign of complete and utter abject poverty. In other words, this is the very last thing you would ever want to eat. And yet for this son, that's all there is. His hope is that he can just have some morsel. 
And this first part of the story is an incredible and accurate picture of what we are choosing when we choose sin and death. Four features that I want to point out to you from this um, selection where he is choosing death and he's choosing sin. The first is that this is a son who is running away from his father. A lot of times we think of stories of the prodigal son as being something that happens to someone before they come and accept Jesus. Someone before they have an identity or a relationship with God. Jesus, though, is speaking this parable to the, around the Pharisees because they've accused him of going and, and eating with the sinners and the tax collectors. He is speaking about the people who are part of the covenant people of God, the people of Israel, who people still see as they've rejected their inheritance because they've gone and sinned instead of following the law that God gave us. They are supposed to be in a relationship with their father. They know him. They know who he is. He's been revealed to them. And still, they've chosen to walk away. This is what the Son has done. And so this story is not just for those who have not yet encountered God. It is not just for those with particularly grievous sins, even though that's what's going on here in the story of the Son as he, as he denies his inheritance. Every time that we choose sin, this is what we are doing. We are saying to the Father, what you have is not enough. Your love is not what I want. I want something else, enough to turn my back on you and to walk away. And this is a grievous insult to God's honor. It's a complete misjudgment of the character of God. Just as it was an insult to the Father, it is an insult to God when we walk away and choose sin. And I think that most of us, if you have the Holy Spirit in you, you're aware of that even as it's happening a lot of the times, as the Son was when He came to His senses. You know that choosing sin is not just a matter of I've broken a few laws and rules and regulations and kind of strayed from the right path. Choosing sin is turning our back on God and saying, I don't need you anymore. And it adds to the weight of it when we know what we have done. Choosing sin as well for the son is a desire to find satisfaction in something apart from his father and the gifts that his father has given him. And so often the sins that we choose are exactly that. There's no like caricature of evil here in the scriptures. Sin is attractive. It's not the person like grabbing on to their well-waxed mustache and throwing someone on in front of the train tracks where they're being evil just for the sake of evil. It's seeking after anything that we think will satisfy us apart from the Father and His gifts. And there are so many ways in which we are tempted to do exactly that. So many ways in which we do. We seek after money. We want to hold on to it because we want to find security in our wealth, not in the gifts of what God has given us. We use food as a way to kind of sate our emotions, to make us feel better for a moment. But when we use it as not a gift we have received from God, we are gluttons. And we are guilty of turning our back on the Father. 
We pull up our phones or our computers and just scroll endlessly, numbing our minds in the idea that this is going to bring some sense of satisfaction. Statistically, speaking to a church in our 21st century, there are some of you who turn to pornography because you think that that will, in fact, give you a feeling of satisfaction. That it will make you feel better, that it will sate your desires in some way. And the truth is, if we're talking about sin realistically, and we're looking at this picture of the parable, there's a moment where it does, kind of. We do a great disservice when we present sin as something that is unattractive and as that there's nothing that we gain from it. There's a moment where he goes and he enjoys squandering his money in reckless living. But even in the fact that he squandered his money, it points to something about this choice that he has made, that he has to keep on pouring his resources into it. He, he goes and buys something that he thinks will satisfy, but it doesn't. And so he goes and spends more. And this is the way that sin gets into our lives. We turn to it because we think it's going to bring us some pleasure, but we find, and this is what you will always find if you have the Holy Spirit of God in you, that eventually that pleasure turns to ash in your mouth. That it brings no real satisfaction. You can have somebody who does not know God, who does not know the Father, who has never been known by the Father, who thinks that their sin brings pleasure after pleasure. But if you have known God and God has known you, then you will find always that it doesn't satisfy because you've had something that really is satisfying, something that really is good. And that's when you realize the death that sin brings. Exactly as the son did, where he comes and he realizes at the very end of his rope that the best place he's ever been was in his father's house. The best place he's ever been is in his father's house. In fact, to be a servant in his father's house is better than to be a free man wandering in this far country, turning his back on his father. And this is the moment where he comes to repentance. And we use that word a lot in the church, and we use that word a lot in the season of Lent especially. And this is the picture of what it looks like. The younger son, he turns away from that far country. He sets his face back towards his father's house. And he steps away from it, confessing his sin. Understanding that what he has done is wrong. And he is going to the father in the hopes that he will be restored. This is repentance. We speak with our mouths what we have done. We recognize that we have injured God. Not in the sense that we can do any lasting hurt to him, but in the sense that we have injured his honor. We have, we have denied what we should have chosen as the best thing. And we set our face and we step towards him. And there's something really beautiful about the way that this happens in the parable. The son, as he sort of recites his speech to himself, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I know that I can't be restored to being a son. That would just be too much. But can I be a servant in your house? 
this younger son does not understand his father fully and completely. He doesn't yet have really the proper motive uh, yet. He's looking here to feed his belly again. And this is actually really good news for us. Repentance doesn't mean getting it all right. Repentance isn't leaving it all behind for all the right reasons. If you're turning away from sin because you've realized that it just doesn't satisfy and I need something else, God, please give me something else that can actually satisfy me, that's okay. If you're turning away from sin and you're not quite sure how you're going to be received from God, but you're approaching Him, that's okay. We don't have to have it all worked out right in our minds in order to turn away from sin. Just turn your back on the sin. Recognize that it will not satisfy, not now, not ever. And step towards God. I want to come to your house. I want to be satisfied. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. He's beginning his speech that he's recited to himself over and over again. He's, he's been working on this as he walked back to his father's house. But before he can even finish, the father interrupts him. And he says to his servants, go and bring the robe, a sign of honor. Go and grab the ring, a sign of being accepted as a son into the house, one who has authority. Go grab the shoes, because one who walked without shoes was a slave. And instead, you're being restored into the presence of the father, into the household of the father. And this is the real fruit of repentance that happens when we turn and we, we go to God. We find out that for all of our sin, no matter how deep it is, no matter how grievously we have insulted the Father, no matter how we have turned away, whether this is the first time or the hundredth time, we find out that God's mercy and His love is greater than our sin. God's mercy and His love is greater than your sin, no matter what it is. And if you think that all you can do is come back into His house and maybe eke out a miserable existence washing the floors, you're going to be like Cinderella in the house of her stepmother where you're there, technically a child, but you don't really belong. And you're just asked to to be a miserable existence. Maybe better than death, but just barely. If that's what you think happens in repentance, you do not understand our Father. Our Father's mercy and love is far, far greater than your sin. And what is waiting for you when you return to your father's house is not some miserable existence, some sort of walking around with my guilt forever, knowing that I have shamed him, that I have ashamed myself, and, and walking around as if everyone else knows too. 
What awaits you is the restoration of your rights as a child of God. What awaits you is joy. The celebration where the the fatted calf is killed. Where there is dancing and singing. There is joy in the Father himself when any sinner repents. And there is joy for the one who is repenting. Can you imagine, it doesn't give it, go into what this young son felt like, but can you imagine having been, had utterly nothing, not having, barely having eaten, and coming home to a feast, being certain that you were going to be a slave at best in your father's house, and instead coming in and finding instead that you are restored to the full rights of a son. It's unbelievable. And yet this is what God has offered to those who repent. This is the joy of repentance that he invites us into. If you have wandered far from God, or maybe you're not that far on the journey yet, but if you've turned your back and have taken a step in that direction, turn around. Confess your sin. And run to the Father. Because his love is greater than your sin. And what he desires to give you as the fruit of your repentance is not just bare minimum life, but abundant life, full life, overflowing life, filled with joy. This is what God is inviting us into with repentance. This is the good news of the gospel. But the story is not over yet. The younger son insulted his father, walked away into a far country, but he repented and turned back and was brought into great joy. The elder son heard about it. The elder son is part of who inspired this passage. The Pharisees who were coming to Jesus saying, how can you be with those who are such obvious sinners when we have held ourselves upright, we have followed God's laws, we've done everything that is right. We are the ones who are the true sons. We are the ones who you should honor. We are the ones who you should commend because we have kept the Torah. We have kept the law. And what Jesus points out in the elder son, what he points out to every elder son, is that your righteousness can come between you and the Father as well as your sin. It's interesting in the story of the elder son and the father. The elder son comes and claims to his father, I've done everything right. I've done it all. I've kept all the laws. I've been obedient. And the father does not say to the elder son, actually, you know what? You didn't. Remember when I asked you to go clean the stalls and you went and did something else instead? You've kept most of the laws. You've done most of the things, but really, you're a sinner too. That's not the way the story goes. 
The father has nothing to say to the elder son's claim that he has, in fact, followed the law. What he has to say to the elder son is an invitation to enter into his joy. Because the elder son has used his self-righteousness as a way to hold himself away from the father as well. Just as the younger son took his inheritance and said, I don't need you, and walked away. The elder son, though he lives with the father, though he has obeyed the father's laws, has just as clearly been communicating, I don't need you. I can do this on my own. What I want is just, I'll follow the rules until you die. And then I'll take over. The wall that he has put between himself and the father is just as great as the wall that the younger son did. In fact, the father's only real correction of him is when the elder son says, this your son has come back. And the father says, this your brother has returned. Come and rejoice with me. And the same love, the same love that hiked up his robes, forgetting the indignity of it, ran out to greet the younger son, walks away from the feast to come to the elder son because it is always the father's heart to go to those who are lost, to those who stand outside. And he says, enter with me into my joy. There are times that we turn our back on God by being the younger son and chasing off after sin. And there are times that we turn our back on God by being the elder son and being so sure that we've got this. That I don't really need you anymore. That I'm better than the other people who are coming. I'm less sinful than they are. So at least I'm, I'm doing better than they are. And that puts a wall between us and the Father as surely as running off into the worst sin that you can think of. But the Father still invites you into his joy. He wants you to enter the feast. The real, the invitation that's being given to the elder son is to be like the Father to be one who seeks after those who are lost, who rejoices when sinners come to God. The elder son is being invited to be like Jesus himself. Because as Jesus is telling this story, in a way, he has embodied this story with his entire life. Jesus left his father's home and went into a far country, not because of his disobedience and his rebellion, but because of his obedience. He went to find those who were lost and to bring them news that the father was waiting for them, that he welcomed them, that he loved them. Jesus, when the sinner comes and turns, rejoices along with the father. 
And Jesus is the one who embodies the Father's love, who shows them how the Father loves them, how deeply his love is for them, who holds not onto his own dignity, but has his robes torn from him, the crown of thorns put on his head, is lifted up onto the cross, Because he will go that far to invite you into the Father's joy. I said on the very first Sunday of Lent that Jesus enters into our story so that we can enter into his. And again, in the story of the prodigal son, we see that clearly. Because Jesus has come to invite us to return to the Father, to know the joy of repentance so that we might be true sons and daughters of God. We might remember who you are. Remember whose house you belong to. And return to God. Turn your face towards him. Seek after him as the one who can really and truly satisfy. And what you'll get is not just the gifts of the Father. That's not even the point of the story. It's not just the things. It's not the fatted calf. It's not the young goat that the elder son wanted. The point is not the property at all. The point is the embrace of the Father that puts his arms around his son. It says, I love you. And now you are restored to me, not to my things, not to your position. You're restored to me. Now share in my joy. So let's ask together for Jesus to give his spirit to empower us to repent, to bring us back to the Father in joy, and to be true sons and daughters who, like him, step out to seek for those who are lost and to tell them the good news. The Father is waiting for you. And he loves you more than you can know. This was a sermon audio from Christ Our Hope Anglican Church, a community of gospel hope in Fort Collins, Colorado, inviting you to join us around God's table. Find out more online at ChristOurHopeAnglican.org. Now go in peace to love and serve the Lord.